I remember when we were at the jump with Will Smith, he said, I love the concept of yes theory. And I remember you cried. <laughs> it doesn't sound like me. I think you provided us with like this sense of like, oh shit, this could be something pretty big. If the remit was, can we make videos that do a couple of million views or more every week? We're more than equipped to do that. But there is genuinely integrity and authenticity. And, and I think that plays out not just in the content, but in the relationships you guys have formed. I wouldn't be in your ecosystem if I was anything other than this, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it's why it works. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This one today. It's maybe best to start with a question. Uh, and that question is, have you ever seen the movie Charlie's Angels? To be honest, I don't fully remember like the movie or the, the characters that much, but I do remember the idea, which is that there's a small group of really badass women and this one guy, Charlie, who is kind of like their boss or their director or this guy behind the scenes. You never get to see who Charlie is, but you only hear his voice and the directions that he gives them. If I'm being honest, at Yes Theory, we have a Charlie. We have someone behind the scenes who has been guiding us, giving us directions, advice, mentorship for years since 2016. His name is Tom, and this is the first time that he's being seen speaking on camera. There is one episode where he shows up for like two seconds, but I'll let you find that one. Tom has never done a podcast before, but as you'll see, he's one of the most incredible, kind, intelligent humans that I've ever met. And I'm so excited for you to finally get to meet him. I'm so shocked, as you'll see, that he said yes to this. But I think it's such an amazing opportunity because he's such a huge part of the book for you to get to meet him and hear about him before the book comes out. So I'll let it roll. Sending my love. Enjoy the podcast. I'm actually shocked you said yes to this. I think you caught me in a vulnerable time. <laughs> <laughs> I think my main, I, I, it's the point I was making to you. I um, I haven't figured out what I'm going to do next. Mm. So I think I'm more open to stuff than I was. Interesting. Because you think like a year ago you would have said no? Or even, I mean, for the past few years? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I mean, privacy has been pretty important to you. Is it mostly because of privacy or like what's the reason you don't feel? Um, or just in general, I mean, this is your first podcast. Why do you feel like it's, you haven't been more public facing? Um, it's interesting, isn't it? It's not very in vogue. I think it's supposed to be. Um, I've never wanted to be, I guess. Mm. Um, I've always liked the idea of being in the background. Mm. Yeah, I've never held, it's never held any appeal. <laughs> huh interesting i mean that's kind of like the the story of your career right it's just like hiding <laughs> <laughs> hiding your whole life this is actually therapy tom this is mm. what we're here to do we're going to try and dig deep here no, it's a good question I, I don't think no if i'm really honest i think i've always found it a bit vulgar when everyone runs towards self-promotion and um i don't like doing things that i won't be good at and it did never feel like I'd be good at it. So I didn't really want to entertain it. Mm. Something like that. Do you think it's also like where you're from? It's kind of like that, like being from Wales. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. true. It's just part of the culture to be a little more subdued, not subdued, like more humble, I guess. It's not really humble, though, is it? I think it's just, yeah, self-promotion is definitely not. It would be seen as distasteful for sure. Mm -hmm. And that's more in Wales than the UK. Or um, oh, you know, I would. I don't even. I wouldn't speak for Wales. Tembe, where I'm from. Yeah, mm. I think there's very free. I think. I think everybody there, um, you're judged on your merit, and anyone who tries to be the big show, it, it's definitely not a good look. Mm. But again, I think. I've, I think professionally, it was much more deliberate. I've never really wanted to be front-facing i've mm. always liked the idea of having kind of the autonomy of just kind of being able to do what i want to do behind the scenes damn well in that case it's an honor <laughs> thank you for being uh, cool, for being willing i actually haven't told you this but the name of the podcast is uh we just confirmed it yesterday but it's matt's going away party oh nice yeah so it's pretty much that's cool uh, the people that mean a lot to me and especially in the past like decade that have helped me and yes theory get to where we are um, and we have like a big network of people that we could reach out to and be on the podcast and, you know, probably get more, <laughs> I guess, more reach. But for me, for this to be meaningful, I really wanted people that, uh, that I'm close to. And I, there's something really cool about 
you know, people knowing who we are, but having no idea that like how instrumental these people have been in our lives. You're also a huge part of the book. So I feel like people, it will be cool for people to see your face. Uh, Do I get my name? <laughs> you don't get your name. <laughs> what am I called now in the book? <laughs> What's my name in the book? <laughs> Clive or something. No, no, no. What is it? I should have made it Clive. What is it? Do you remember? I, I feel embarrassed to say it, but it's Mark. Okay, so I'm Mark. <laughs> You're Mark. Mark. Honestly, well, this was Carly's idea, your wife. Oh, she, uh, what, as in calling me, calling me Mark? No, no, not calling you Tom. Oh, you know what? But it's the same thing. Like, I'm completely at peace with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just funny. I mean, she brought up because we have Tommy, Tommy, Thomas, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Tom. It would have been a little confusing. Yeah, yeah. But you're such a Tom. I'm such a Tom. You're such a Tom that it was really actually difficult with because I had to brainstorm with Darren. We had like a list of twenty names that could replace Tom. Yeah, genuinely, that text exchange <laughs> where you're like giving <laughs> yeah, you options names. It's like what name would you like? I think what was the name that you didn't like that we picked? I can't remember. There's one that you. you I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it's funny. Yeah. So. Thank you for for of putting course. up with that too. Uh, I think it'd be cool for like I know a, a, a bit about your story, but now that I have this opportunity to sit with you, uh, it'd be cool to kind of just quickly go through the the, the Tom timeline because uh, you in the space that you're in, you know, especially in like the business and and investment world, like you're you won't say this for yourself, but you are a big deal. Oh, huge! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I feel like it's really interesting coming from where you come from and. Uh, your background, how you ended up to where you are. Um, so maybe, you know, starting with that, like where, where are you from? What was your family like? What you liked and didn't like about the place you're from and what resonated and what didn't? Um, yeah, um, I'm from a small town in South Wales called Tembe. I think 5,000 people live there. That's a picture of it up there on the wall behind you. Um, it's um, yeah, seaside town, so like this, right by the sea. Um, my parents were hippies or are hippies. So I'm one of five. Um, my middle name is Moonshine. <laughs> I actually, did you I didn't think that? you would, I knew that. I didn't think uh, you'd say it. Yeah, yeah. It's Tom uh, Moonshine. And my sisters are, and brothers are uh, Sunshine and Sky and Star. And, um, yeah, so I grew up in Tembe and then uh, went to, my school was just a normal school, but Carly, my wife, who's from Cornwall, I think I told you the story. When she came to see it, she just gave me a hug. <laughs> no, <laughs> in sympathy. Um, so I went to a normal were you school. elementary school? Um, I don't know what you call it. A secondary school where mm-hmm. we did our GCSEs and A-levels. Greenhall School. This, uh, but yeah, pretty big school. Um, I wouldn't call it rough, just like not much stuff. Um, so did pretty well in school. Studied law. Um wanted to go to Cambridge. I've told you that story. Didn't get to Cambridge. Missed the interview. Um, well, how come? It was my friend's 18th birthday party. Woke up in a field. <laughs> missed the interview. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so studied law. Realized I didn't want to actually um, be a lawyer. My sister's a lawyer. So I'd kind of seen it up close. Um, went to work for Sky. So my first job ever was at Sky. Can you describe what Sky is for American audience? Um, satellite television broadcaster. So um, I think it's now owned by Comcast. Mm-hmm. Was this before or after MI6? <laughs> uh, way before. Um, <laughs> so did Sky. Oh, in fact, that's not true. No, after. So worked at Sky um, and then had an idea based on something I'd seen at Sky. So I, I launched my first startup, which was a pregnancy social network called Gurgle. Um <laughs> And I think I was, I can't even remember, maybe 24, something like that. Wow. Um, I think it's still a magazine in the UK. I think that's true. And it's worse than that. I think some of the stuff in it is still stuff I wrote <laughs> because no it's on rotation. Um, so yeah, I did that. Um, Mothercare, which is kind of a big high street retailer here, they bought it. Um, I then did a thing called Book Army, which was, um, let's call it Goodreads, like a European version of Goodreads, which HarperCollins took. The fund that employed me, I then became like an entrepreneur in residence. Um, I then did a thing called Whipcar, um, which I think I've talked to you about, like the world's first peer-to-peer car club. Um, got quite big. We had like 50,000 cars. Um, and randomly, because we are in Brighton now, I think I told you, I had this like awful moment. I told you the story, I think, where we were three years in and we raised all this money and it was Christmas Eve and I got a phone call and the phone call was, uh, is that Mr. Wright? And I said, yes. And they said, you've killed a man. I told you this story? No. Um, I was like, wow. Um, 
you know, hello. And it was a police officer and it was randomly, it was in Brighton. Um, so a twin brother, one twin was a normal driver. The other twin was a banned from driving driver had taken his twins ID, used it to take one of our cars and at four in the morning had driven it at a hundred miles an hour and hit a guy in Brighton. Hmm. Um, so I had like, that was my Christmas. I was like, wow, I've actually killed someone with a startup. Um, and it turned out we hadn't killed someone and someone had been injured, but you know, the insurance covered it and they ended up kind of... Oh, the person didn't die? Didn't die. Mm. But I had three days of thinking that I had done that. Wow. So I quit uh, when I came back and mm. kind of handed over to my co-founder. I, I kind of couldn't do it. Because of that? Yeah. Because... because Of the every, responsibility? Everything of it? I'd ever done was kind of... I'm pretty good at editorial and kind of audience and content. And this was just, a, I woke up one day and thought, wow, you know, it was when Airbnb was just breaking through in the UK. And there's loads of these companies now, like Get Around and um, I can't remember what they're called, but we had the biggest one. We had the first one. Um, so the whole, I guess the insight was, if you look at how big Airbnb is, there's an equivalent there because cars are that level of valuable and they're not used. Someone should build a platform to do that. So I worked with Lloyds of London and my co-founder Vinay. We kind of, we built this insurance product, peer-to-peer -peer insurance. Um, we raised the capital. We, like I said, built this network. But everything I'd done up until then had just been editorial. But the idea that I could do something and someone might actually die, um, mm -hmm. it was just that properly shook me. So, so yeah, I kind of, I stopped doing it. Um, and then I guess from there, I went to work in-house as a kind of entrepreneur in residence again. I then spun up a small fund with kind of a one LP. Um, and I guess our paths crossed where um, as part of that fund, we created this joint venture with Snapchat. I kind of went over to LA to kind of help fix it. Um, ended up running it before it was sold. And then that's how kind of our paths crossed. Mm -hmm. So before we get to that part, I do want to go over the MI6. So you're my NIs. Do you want the whole story? Yes. Wow. Okay. Um, so. And clarify what that is because I feel like people maybe i feel like most people would know but uh i guess i don't know what the what is the equivalent in the u.s the cia kind of vibe but yeah, like bigger yeah, like the like elite cia yeah so when i was like what was i 19 20 no no just graduated 21 22 uh, i applied for mi6 and uh it was it's like being in a movie so i went to some random hall in london and there were hundreds of people at a desk all filling out these forms and i did it too and then I got a call back and then next I had to go to Bristol and these hundreds of people have become 50 people. And then it happened again. And this time it was in Cardiff and there were 10 people. And then the, I think fourth time it happened, I ended up in London thinking it was going to be another room like that. And I appeared and they said, welcome Tom. And I was one of four people and each of us was given a diplomat, a psychologist and a psychiatrist to kind of follow us around. And we had, I don't even know what it was, like two, two days in a center where you'd be given these like briefing notes. So you'd say you are the minister of agriculture for Ecuador. Here's how you feel about these certain issues. And then your counter, someone, someone else in the group would be given the alternate point to argue and you'd be put in a room, a bit like this really, with people just watching you and they'd say begin. And you'd have this exchange <laughs> where you're trying to kind of hit your points and then not have any kind of inherent bias or any, you know, any negative signals. Um, anyway, so this, this thing goes on. So some tests and lots of those kind of exchanges. And then because you've been watched the whole time at the end of it, they say, sorry, Tom, you didn't, you didn't quite make it, but lots of people don't make it first time. And, and we want you to have this. And they give me this document. And this document is the truest thing you've ever been shown about yourself. It's all of this analysis, all of these inherent biases that you carry, all of these like things that you didn't know you did. And they say, if you can process this and come back next year, you know, you've got a good shot. So I get on the train back to Wales and I open this thing and it's the truest thing you've ever read. And my ego couldn't take it. Like, <laughs> couldn't take it. So I threw it in the bin. <laughs> and, um, I didn't know that. And, um, yeah. So like, I, I think about that often because I imagine the gift of being given oh. that level of insight. But I, I just, I couldn't Do you remember anything it. from it? Nothing. Nothing at all. Really? Yeah. But, but again, yeah. I think the way I was built, you're, you're really a question. I grew up in a small seaside town with you know a dad who unicycled around the town like hippie town he, he would, unicycled around the town yeah, yeah no way yeah so like i think we were all me and my siblings were all trying to get the um i think we were all trying to be as normal as possible so i think that book to the extent that it told me that i was weird in any way i just kind of like my, mm, my ego couldn't deal with it i see do you feel like there's still a lot of shame around that which bit throwing the thing away no no around the like the hippie part of you I don't think so. It's interesting. It's kind of cyclical. When you're a kid, right? When you're a kid of 
and the way we were. You want nothing other than to be normal. Like my dream would have been for my dad to be a bank manager. Really? Like for sure, because it was, you know, it was scary being a kind of a son of a creative. But now, as an adult, you kind of admire it. Mm. But, you know, like my dad was a puppeteer. Like, how, like imagine trying to... Imagine a puppeteer? Yeah, and, and, you know, theatre in the end. But initially, imagine trying to raise five kids as a puppeteer. That's, that's Damn. some heavy stuff. And is that like in the streets he's doing That too, but no, he did and movies stuff? and stuff. He did like um, Labyrinth and Little Shop of Horrors. But the 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 meat and veg was, yeah, he he was the guy that wanted to do puppets. Mm. And so money was probably... I mean, we've talked about this before, but yeah, a yeah. constant stress yeah. yeah yeah that's how i'm built yeah yeah and do you feel like you're still working through that <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> for sure and I, I think i would imagine people who grew up in creative households where money is tricky that builds a certain kind of fear into how you then behave when you're an adult for mm-hmm. sure for sure and so i mean you go straight to entrepreneurship to business i mean after law <laughs> yeah like I, I don't it wasn't if I'm really honest, it wasn't ever, um, it wasn't like a master plan. It kind of just happened mm. opportunistically. Mm. Do you feel like it came from like a passion for it? Or was it just more like a, I want to be, is it still the, I want to be normal. I want to do, like you're saying, if you wanted your dad to be a bank manager, was that your version of wanting to be normal? Um, or respected, I guess? Yeah, I'm sure there's some truth in all of that. I don't know. Like, I, the reason I like the founder thing is, I really like ideas. That's why I like your stuff. Right? I really like, bringing good ideas or good ideas. I like having creative ideas and then making them happen. Mm. And I think if you're creative, you do that with like, you, know, you write books or you make videos or you, but I think there's, there is a business equivalent. There's something really amazing about having an innovative idea, getting some people excited by it, getting the capital, making that thing happen. And then it going on and having a life without you. That's kind of mm-hmm. pretty fun. Um, but like I said, the first time it was really just because I was at Sky, there was an awareness that, there was an opportunity because I'd seen it from the other side, which I think is often how startups mm-hmm. are kind of founded. And and then because it worked, it was like okay, cool. But then you know this is it was almost like a demystified really early. Mm, I um, see. So yeah. yeah. Damn. So, I mean, I guess do you want? Are you cool with mentioning who you work for or have worked for the for the past however long? For Liz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I mean, it's also interesting. Like the name is is really. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's also in the book, so I guess you, <laughs> you should be cool with it. But Liz Murdoch, who's the daughter of Rupert Murdoch, who literally succession the show is based off of. So she's, what's the girl's name? Snooki? Is it Snooki the I, show? Have you not seen it? No, no, I've definitely seen it. I have no idea how, like, I, I, I'd never say that's who it was based off. I don't know. But, um. I mean, the writer said it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, if that's true, because I have watched Succession. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I'd recognize her in that. I don't think. No. I don't think like her personality and everything. I don't think so. Like it, that's, I mean, obviously it's heightened cause it's kind of comedy, but I, I've watched that whole season or that whole series. I, I don't, I don't see the connection. Really? Yeah. With her specifically or all? Well, I don't know the rest of them well enough, but mm. I think with Liz, I think anyone who knows Liz would say she's insanely not. I mean, you'd say the same thing, yeah. right? like her, her superpower is, She's not duplicitous or like there, there's no kind of, I think that whole show is about like underhand conniving. She's just lovely. Like yeah. her superpower is, she's just lovely. Super sweet. Like disarmingly so. I think everyone who meets her is like, wow, that's kind of, she's, you know, she doesn't, I think it's odd for someone with that level of ability and affluence and power and like the amount of energy and time she gives to her. Like, so mm-hmm. um, I, I, I get the succession. I understand connection but Mm -hmm. i think she's in my experience she's a very different beast so you for how long have you worked with liz um i don't even know now seven years something like eight years probably no no longer because you know it's true Um, a decade no i don't even know like eight years ish ten years ish something like that i don't a while and your role is essentially head of her fund or, I, or I, how would you define it? No. So I think like historically, the way Liz used to work was she used to have this thing called freelance, which is kind of the thing I used to, I, I did a venture piece of. What she does now, she's got this new entity called um, Sister, which is uh, a massive independent studio. So it's kind of, 
um, with podcasting and books and movies and TV shows and mm. all that stuff. So her focus is very much there. So I'd say all of her current like new venture stuff is focused on building that piece. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I guess I, I'm an ancillary. I've got some legacy stuff we do together, but her focus is definitely on the studio stuff now. But when we met, she, you were doing the fun side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're doing investments yeah, for yeah, her. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I, I think it like from, I'll share from our side of it what happened, and then I'd love to hear your perspective on yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, I mean, we received an email from you guys in 2016. So, uh, or no, sorry, 2015. So four months after we started the channel, uh, we were living in Montreal, and we we had been getting some traction, some virality, and we were getting emails from people, like from uh, MCNs, multi-channel networks, and agents, and people telling us we should be on this show or that show. And at first we were stoked, super excited, and then quickly realized it was a lot of it was pretty shady. Um, and then we got an email from you, from someone from your team. Uh, I, I think it was Mia. Mia? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I wish I still had that email. Um, essentially saying, do you want to move out to Venice and get paid to make videos? And it was so, like the title of it was so insane that we ignored the email. Um, and then four days later, of course, Darren has done his research and realizes that it's legit and comes to us and he's like, it's Liz Murdoch. She's literally a billionaire and they, this is like, they're partnering with Snapchat. It's a whole thing. Um, and we kind of freaked out. And from that moment on, we realized how big of an opportunity it was. Of course, we didn't know like to the extent how much it would change our lives. Like everything changed once we, we did the deal. But, um, you know, from our perspective, like we were this tiny YouTube channel. We had like maybe eight, 9,000 subscribers and we had made maybe like, like upwards of 40 videos. So it was like, it was the, the idea of it was so insane that someone of that status would see us and want us. Um, and I've never actually, I don't know if I've like fully heard it from your perspective. I kind of know that you were working with Mia and stuff, but when we, you and I met, you were like, I'm the one that found you guys. So I'd love to know, like leading up to that moment where we met, like what we, what you saw, how involved were you in finding us? Like what did it look like? Um, so um, let's just remember. So um, we were building a channel with, we were going to build a series of channels with Snapchat. So this was just before they launched their Discover stuff. Um, so there was a joint venture between Liz and Snap. Um, which is called Vertical Networks. Um, and the idea was that it was going to be, like I say, a series of channels made for mobile, short form, kind of fast paced stuff. Um, so no one really knew what that meant beyond the first channel was going to be kind of male lifestyle focused. And so there were lots of like, lots of TV people and other people involved in kind of shaping it. Um, but it wasn't like massively complicated. It was, I had a thing in my head, which was what would a contemporary version of kind of male friendship look like, which is like authentic and not douchey or bro-y like how would you do that with like authenticity but love um in a way that kind of you know was interesting so i i, I live on places like youtube so i was just looking for something that spoke to that and i, I found your stuff so i think yeah like six thousand views of like a tiny video right it was it was one of the early um project theater um wow you just randomly came yeah, across it yeah yeah damn yeah i know it's crazy do right? you remember it like when you first came across it yeah 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 really yeah 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 did so, you know instantly or were you like uh, um maybe maybe I think like, no, because we didn't know, you know, what? we didn't send it to anyone else. So like, it's one of those weird moments. It was not like we like looked at 10 people or no, genuinely it was like, these guys are about rights. And then send no the email way. and it happened. So it's kind of, it's weird, right? But no, there wasn't like this massive. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like I was I, convinced there was. I thought you guys had done like a full. No, no. Really? And you know what though, because there, and we should say full disclosure, there were other people involved, right? So people like Sebastian, mm-hmm. it might well be they did loads of I stuff. See, yeah, yeah. But like, if you asked me my opinion, I found a thing. We sent an email, you were the guys, and it was literally one of one. So, holy shit. Yeah. That is so crazy. Yeah. I don't even know how that works on the algorithm with all the channels out there. No, no, it's insane. Damn. I mean, but also. I, but, but full disclosure, like, or full disclosure, like clarity, I was looking for exactly what you'd made, which is here are four people who are very clearly actually friends. And we talked about this a lot, right? I was, I like that attainable aspiration. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you were making. Like that fit, I mean, what you call generation, why not? Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was rough around the edges and it was all a bit, lots of, you know, I think some of it was awful and some of it was okay, but the, the relationships were real. Mm-hmm. And when you say attainable aspiration, what do you mean? 
Um, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into all this, but um, I think there's a sweet spot, isn't there, with content on YouTube specifically, but increasingly all the other platforms too. Um, that you can kind of go super extreme. You can do the Mr. Beast esque, um, what would happen if you gave a teenager unlimited money kind of vibe, where it's just you know like a child is in charge of all the money and they can do anything. But there's a there's a I guess a, a more affordable version of content you can make, which is this stuff that's completely aspirational. You want that, but it feels like it's actually within reach. Mm. It's like um, when you have the boy band and there's the one who's maybe you could go out with him. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all that guy. I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I love it. And so, I mean, from our end, when the deal actually went through, uh, I mean, we were so broke. Like Thomas's card, literally, he's shared the story, but literally got declined getting gum. Um, and then you guys offer us $50,000 for four months of filming. And to you say, go anywhere, use whatever you want for the budget. Um, I think that was Sebastian, right? To give him his due. He kind of just said, yeah, go. And, and, full freedom. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 And we were like, I mean, we were in Montreal, it was freezing and you guys were going to give us visas. So we were like, okay, we'll just go to the Caribbean. So we go to Mexico, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, et cetera, and do another Project 30, this time for Snapchat. That ends up being posted for Snap, not necessarily in the same format, but um, after those four months, it's it's time for us to move to LA. And before the guys can come down, because they're still waiting for their visas, I'm the only one with an American passport, and I come down. And uh, I go to Venice, California for the second time i went earlier when i was a kid but uh how long ago was this because like it feels so recent how long ago was it really like, does in it? my head it does what is it like <laughs> eight years or something seven seven years That's seven years crazy yeah wow i mean i still remember the moment you tapped on my shoulder okay i still remember my turn it was like uh i remember that whole night sight. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah that's fucking a wild night dude yeah. well i mean yeah like i showed up a few days before and then sebastian who's the producer at the company it's like, oh, we're going to throw this big party for the team. Liz is going to come. Like a bunch of the leadership from the UK is going to come over. And so I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I got to make a good impression. I, I was so used to being with the guys that I was like, oh, shit, this is on me. Like, who knows if this contract is going to last? Who knows if they're going to keep paying us, if we're going to keep these visas, et cetera. So I got to dress up, you know. <laughs> I got to be ready. And I show up to the office <laughs> for this party. And like I see Liz get really excited and have a little conversation with her. And then you come up to me. And again, this is all in the book. So I don't know how much I want to spoil from it. But uh, you and I have this amazing conversation. And uh, within the conversation, like pretty quickly, you say, like, what's the reason you're doing this? And you were like, bull fucking like staring into my soul. And I just felt like I couldn't lie. And then I told you, you know, the reason, which is in the book, I won't explain here, but your answer was amazing. You're like, good. I'm glad you didn't say we wanted to make a million dollars. Some people do say that. Really? Yeah, for sure. Really? Yeah. I think especially I feel like now, even if you're lying, you, I mean, no, I think now there's almost like a, I wouldn't call it cachet, but I think it's, it's acceptable to say that it's a Jesus. That's sad. But yeah, I mean, do you, I mean that whole night after, um, I mean, I, I don't know how, if I'm even allowed to say this, but we went out and you and I, and, like a bunch of the, it was like four other people from the leadership team. So all these like, like grown men, you know, I think you were the only one in your thirties. The rest were in like their forties and above and they'd been working for Liz for a while and, you know, uh, all in suits. And it's me, I'm like fucking 23 at this table with these guys and wine is coming and everybody's drinking. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I don't know. I, I came from Montreal from this like doing this thing and all of a sudden I'm in Cal Los Angeles with like people who are giving me, you know, like all this access. Uh, and I just kind of followed along and just started drinking with you guys and just like shot after shot, you know, glass after glass. And then we go to a bar and that's the last I remember of it. Like I fully. Didn't you wake up in someone's yeah, yeah. bed? <laughs> yeah. I, w I fully black out. Wow. And then I wake up next to the CFO of, in his hotel bed, fully clothed, wow. both of us. And I just look over at him and I was like, holy shit, dude. <laughs> what the fuck just happened? 
I don't know what that moment exactly did for me. I don't know if I've necessarily reflected on it, but it did. Like there was something really nice about it being. You know what? Like, like I'll give fun. my read on it. I think professionalism, especially when you have those heightened situations you're talking about, people pretend, right? Everyone suddenly turns into this weird character where they kind of do voices and kind of wear suits. And I think we just pop mm-hmm. the bubble. Right? And mm-hmm. It's almost like you turned up and everyone was being a bit serious and we kind of had a human moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember coming back and telling the boys, I was like, Tom's the guy. Like we met Tom or I met Tom and I think we'll be good. Like there was a whole, I mean, I wrote it in my diary too. Where I was like, Tom's going to help us like figure this whole thing out. <laughs> See, you know? I, I, yeah, it's, uh, this is an aside. <laughs> Do you know the emails went down yesterday? Did you hear this? What? Yesterday. Oh yeah, the yes theory emails. I, I'm the guy fixing that. I, how am I six <laughs> yeah. years later fixing yeah, the fucking? Yeah, yeah. Welcome like, to yes theory. The? Yeah, you can't escape it <laughs> ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the email uh, guy. Yeah. What's interesting is you'd worked with like Jack Scaps and like a few other creators in in the YouTube world. Um, so that was part of the cool thing too is you understood our world a good amount, and there was a sense of like I don't know you, you were, you saw, the potential, but you also saw like the power in it, like where things were going. And I think a lot of people in that space and, you know, around that age, et cetera, like we were just kind of, there was this feeling of like, oh, you're just YouTubers. Like TV and all this stuff is like, it still felt like the thing. It still kind of does to this day. I mean, a lot less, but I think you provided us with like this sense of like, oh shit, we're, you know, this could be something pretty big. Um, but there, I, I think when, because we got this deal so early, because everything happened so fast, there was also this sense of like, you know, we're, we're fucking awesome. I was like, we were all like, holy shit, we're the, we're the hottest shit on the planet right now. We're getting, you know, $50,000 deals hanging out with billionaires and it just happened like that. And so What's one interesting is that nobody got to see that part on YouTube. Like they just got to see us continuing to make videos that seemed like we had some kind of budget because they were, you know, we sometimes we were using like helicopters in our videos and we had like 100,000 subscribers. Um, But you, and this is why I think the boys and I have always, you know, like loved you so much and also seen you as our mentor is you called us out constantly. You know, anytime we thought we were hot shit, you were like... You're average. <laughs> you're like you're average dudes. You're average dudes. Was, but, but, but in the, uh, just to be clear, <laughs> I think <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> you were bullying uh, us. No, no, no. I think my point was always you have you're, you're relatable. That's like that's the point. Mm-hmm. So I think the moment you started being kind of, you know, the moment one of you wears a ridiculous top or something, it kind of undermines the entire thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's a few bits to this, right? I think. Because like, I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. Like from my perspective, there was a there was a very obvious opportunity to do a like we've talked about almost like a bromance channel. Mm-hmm. And then the question is like, what's the actual content, and how much is this like doing stuff? And I think we learned some of that together, right? The difference between what's fun to do or what's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, like what the real audience looks like, and to what extent you can do the clickbaity stuff, or you can kind of build the um, the vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know, like actually make this about love and kind of heart not just kind of how do you get people to to do the clicks but your point about kind of calling you guys out i think there's we we could probably speak about the right this i think there's been two or three instances where we've kind of had a <laughs> like a a, a a realignment of what we're trying to do and i think the biggest vision of the essay was always i mean that's why we named it that way right it's it was like it sounds pretentious but it it's it, it it's almost a religion right it's like let's build a philosophy so people are warming to you but you've also got a message in everything you do which is like a manifestation of that empowerment and i think anytime we got away from that and asked ourselves what is this that we're making that was an amazing kind of central kind of let's mm-hmm. let's kind of let's get back to that and i think the cool thing about what that means is i mean again we could get into the content now but it gives you incredible breadth right like the mental vision of that and the physical vision of that and the you know endurance vision of that like mm-hmm. pushing yourself in all those ways is super interesting but i think there was a time in the beginning where we were it's just like anyone when they're finding their feet we weren't sure what it was and so sometimes we disagreed a little bit yeah is there one moment in particular that stands out i think that moment in i'm trying to remember what triggered it you know in london when we had that mm-hmm. big heart to heart um which was i 
I don't, I mean, again, you probably remember it better than I did. I, I don't think I was trying to tell you you're all average. I think the point was more the strength of this is in its cohesion and in the relationships and it's all the things we've talked about, attainable, aspiration, relatable. And it felt a bit like, to use your words, you guys had maybe thought it was about you as personalities and being hot shit. And I think it's always been about your relationship more than it's been about any one of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's even relevant today, right? I mean, even before the podcast started, we were talking about this, like the, there was a moment even a few months ago when I was talking to Thomas and we were talking about the past two to three years and he goes, you know, I didn't sign up to do this alone. It's never the plan. Like it was meant to be all of us doing this together. So yeah, I think that's, I think part of what made, maybe there was like a, a fear of that being true because it would mean that we would depend on, on each other so much, you know? And I remember you saying very often you would be like, if the friendship works, everything else works. The friendship is the priority, you know? And I think it's so hard though, right? Because if we look at the graveyard of you know, every single social platform that's in the YouTube, how many instances are there of real relationships that have managed to kind of really survive? Because it's the ultimate, people talk about family businesses, you know, don't do that. Don't go into business with your friends. The idea you're going to have like a real friendship on show and it's going to be filmed all the time. And on top of that, it's a business. And on top of that, you guys are in charge of fueling that. And on top of that, metrics are the language that you kind of almost come to think of your relationship in. It's a, it's a lot to place on anybody. Mm -hmm. Was there ever any concern on your end for that? Um, well, for you guys as friends or for you as the, like, in what context? Yeah, I'd say as friends. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you're a case in point. Like, at no point would I have... Um, you know, I think where you guys have all landed, it feels like there's a path where you're all excited about doing things. There's an inverse, right, where you could have been, can be forced, but I could have been advocating, you know, suck it up. Mm -hmm. And and, and that, is a, that is an experience I've, I've seen. I've seen channels, fake relationships in order to maintain the revenue, you know, run them like businesses, but the cameras go off and there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. I think what's amazing about you guys is you've kept the friendship and even though you're not in content as much as you were, the relationship's still there. Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's way healthier that way around. Yeah. And it's been hard, you know, like with all of that. And yeah, even on the podcast with Thomas, we talked about the past two years and how difficult it's been to, you know, keep what we had and even getting older, being on YouTube and the whole thing is just like the evolution of the friendship. But I mean, throughout this process, you've just been such a, such a freaking rock for us um i guess the does it feel weird like i mean even the name yes theory this is also really interesting is that like had it not been for you we would have never been called this you know it's it, we were generation why not and uh, before <laughs> i still think that's amazing <laughs> yeah hey man yeah i like the name uh, well no, yeah look, we can speak to that like we had a goes back to what is the channel it's empowerment, it's kind of a mantra, it's, you know, whatever we want to do it. But let's say that there's a philosophy we're trying to sell. And I think my point to you guys was, it's called yes something. What's it called? Yeah, you kept saying it's yes. It has yeah. a yes in it. It has a yes in yeah. it. And we're like, fuck, that's so corny. And then yes theory was just like, everything was available. It was insane. Who came up with it? Thomas. Okay. Yeah, I still remember it. We were in the backyard. And he just said it so casually. He was like, what about yes theory? That's cool. Yeah. And then there was a moment, I remember, I don't know if this is related to the name itself, but when we were at the jump with Will Smith, uh, and I, th I think he said, like, I love the concept of yes theory. And I remember you cried. <laughs> that <laughs> doesn't sound like me. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. But you did. Do you remember that? No. But I, you remember crying? I, I'll definitely believe you. <laughs> I, I blank emotions. Really? Oh. That was such a big moment for me because, of course, I've never seen you cry. But it was like I, I think I had incredible pride that day. Would, like I, I did feel incredible pride. I've got two kids, as you know, and it felt like that. At the risk of sounding condescending, that no. like it did feel like wow, like this has become a thing. Mm. Was, and I think you know that was live, right? It, there was a window where at the time, you know, the biggest movie star in the world, validating the kind of path that you guys had walked over the last, I guess, four years up until then. Mm. That was like, yeah, I was incredibly proud. <sighs> I still am. Thanks. 
why that moment? I mean, yes, I guess because of Will, but did you, was there, were there times leading up to it that you felt like it wasn't going to happen? For sure. You must have too, right? Yeah, all the time. Um, I guess like, if you look at the growth of that channel, it was a series of kind of happy accidents. We managed to leverage the Snap thing to get a meaningful audience that cared. And when you guys jumped across, a proportional audience knew who you were and came and then made some good content consistently, which kind of got the algorithm going. But I think I'd say probably up until that point, it felt like it had potential, but it hadn't really caught fire. And I think that moment, it did feel like we really set fire mm-hmm. to something. Mm-hmm. I think it's why we still refer to it so much because it was such a inflection point in the brand. It's also interesting. I mean, I didn't mention this, but the Snapchat deal, I think the reason that changed our lives more than anything was the exposure, but sure. the combined exposure of subscribers. I think we had the this cheat code of people coming over from Snap. Like some Sundays when the episode on Snapchat would go live, we'd get like 25,000 subscribers. Yeah. It was fucking insane. And it almost felt unfair. Like we were, it, it was like, I think this is why it's important for me to even like sit down with you and talk to you. And even in the book, talk about it is because the majority, it's all, or honestly, all the creators I know haven't had this kind of like a cash cow and access for sure. to this kind of an audience. And there's this idea that, you know, yes, theories come from the ground up and like, but it, but it has, because I, I mean, I, it did come from the ground up, but that support was like, for sure. But I'd go the other way. There's no shortage of creators who've tried to be manufactured that didn't work. Right? Mm. That there's, I mean, I could name dozens of instances where either media companies or brands or even just like high net worths have tried to engineer, you know, a star or a series of stars. What you guys had, if it wasn't real and good, it wouldn't have worked. Mm. But without question, you guys had like some, you know, some rocket fuel at the beginning, for sure, for yeah. sure. And now look at us. Honestly, when I see the number sometimes, it's like maybe this is shitty of me to do, but I, I still can't believe it. You know, I'm like, holy fuck, we have 8 million subscribers. Like, I, it's still like a, it's still such a shocking idea. Like, it's a million felt so impossible for such a long when time. When we went to Mexico, I can't remember what anniversary that was. That 4 million? I think we went to Hawaii, no? Well, Hawaii, sorry. Yeah. Was, it four, was it 4 million? Two. Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were celebrating 2 million. And we were, we took this, what, five-day trip to Hawaii to celebrate it? And I, everywhere we would go in the car. I, I don't, I don't know if you remember this. Sorry, go and finish yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Go, go. No, no, I, I, my Thela, my daughter's favorite story to tell, because I told her this story, is when we were in Hawaii and we're walking down the street and it's you, all you guys and me. I was thinking, yeah, here I am just being one of the guys. And these girls run up and they're like, oh my God, oh my God. And they're like you know, geeking out of you guys. And one of them turns to me and says, are you their dad? <laughs> <laughs> and that's Thela's favorite story. <laughs> <laughs> like she broke I was like I was one of the guys and then I was their dad uh, within two words does it feel weird that you I mean you all this has been so public facing and you've been behind the scenes or because of Liz and all of it you're just so used to it as in sorry wasn't like this thing of course we put in all this work and created this thing but like being such an instrumental part of it but not never being seen you know by the audience I guess it goes back to you liking yeah like, I don't, kind of, it, it, like you mean do I I, no, I've got no desire to be the guy, if that's what you yeah. mean. I'm completely at peace with Like, imagine if it was the other way around. It'd be pretty weird, right? <laughs> if, if I was like some weird Machiavelli and I did that. Trying to get it. Um, no, I think this is way healthier. Because again, like, what are we doing? Like, there is definitely a, this is a content channel. But I'd argue what this is turned into is something a little bit different, right? It's not just a, we... If the remit was, can we make videos that do a couple of million views or more every week and let's just kind of play the game? We're more than equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. But there's like there is genuinely integrity and authenticity and, and I think that plays out not just in the content, but in the relationships you guys have formed. And mm-hmm. I I wouldn't be in your ecosystem if I was anything other than this, right? Mm-hmm. It's kinda it's why it works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things I love about you is your obsession with truth. This is like a thing you you harp on all the time. It's like truth. Truth is it. Yeah. You know, it's also incredibly. Um, I don't know about rare, but like uh, seductive. I think when you meet people who kind of cut through the shit, we swear. Yeah. People who cut through the shit. I think maybe that's professionally if I was going to gonna give my kids advice of like what I've done. That's all I've got, which is, 
I'm really comfortable saying what I actually think, not what you're maybe supposed to say. And I think in this environment, when you talked about maybe when you guys were maybe thinking you're the shit, the danger is definitely, it's so easy. I've been in so many rooms. I was, I've been in some in the last few weeks where being deferential is how you get by. Um, and I think for lots of people, that's maybe the easy, not even the easy path, but it's kind of, it's the least risky approach. I think Hollywood often feels a lot like this stuff in that people don't want to lose their jobs, don't want to get fired, want to maintain what they have. It's not necessarily about getting more. It's mm -hmm. about kind of keeping. And so uh, as a result, people kind of maybe hide who they are and just say the thing that's going to kind of mm -hmm. not rock the boat. But I think if you're down to just be incredibly straight with people, lots of people will be offended. I offend people all the time. But the ones who aren't tend to end up with really meaningful relationships. Mm. And do you think that makes you move faster in the world, like professionally? Oh, no. I, uh, I, I guess it depends where you are. No, I'd imagine in a corporate world, it would do the opposite. <laughs> so it's better to be deferential in a corporate I mean, it world? It depends on the corporate, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, look, with my career, like, you know, I'm, a, I'm a CEO at the moment of a new, new tech startup. And if you're going to raise capital and hire a team and all the rest of it, like the pitch I always give to anyone I ever hire is startups fail. Most startups fail. Let's assume this one does. Is this still a good use of your time? Like that's always my opening gambit. And it's mm. like, let's talk about why you might want to come and work here. And if that is got nothing to do with the binary outcome of success or failure, and you may be making lots of money, can I promise you that you'll get what you're looking for? And people who respond well to that and you you get like a real answer and you can have, you know, then, then you're kind of, you're hiring people for a position of, they know what they're walking into and you know what you're giving them. Mm. If you go the other way where you kind of, you, you say whatever you need to say to get a job, you end up with a very different kind of dynamic. Yeah. But I don't know, in general, I think truth works with, like it gives you real friendships. It gives you like, usually that's linked to things like conviction. So where you find yourself then is usually like a good spot for you to be in because you've got there, honestly, mm. the kind of conniving maneuvering stuff. I've just, I've, again, it goes back to the, the point we talked about earlier. I'm not very good at that stuff. So I've just never really tried. Mm. But there is something like, you know, the, this saying that you've always said to us, hide the vegetables, mm -hmm. you know, where there's a level of like telling, saying the thing you want to say, but saying it in a, for sure. you know, yeah, I mean, and we should speak to that. So yeah. when we talked about hide the vegetables, it was always, um, I had this, I had, you guys had it too, but this desire or need to make sure that whenever you were making content, even if you were doing the, let's call it more populist stuff, underpinning it was some heart and some friendship and some, like, so you, so you actually had feeling and a connection to you guys. And we talked about hide the vegetables because... In a world where on YouTube, for example, clickbait often wins, if you could get people in through clickbait, but then give them heart they weren't even expecting, you get this massive kind of growth in fans that you weren't expecting. Um, but to your point, unquestionably, um, there's a difference between telling the truth and maybe being almost um, obnoxiously honest where, yeah, so professionally, I'm sure if I, um, if I was better at biting my tongue, I'd have a much more... Uh, I'd have a different career. Mm. Um, but I'm kind of, a, uh, to the extent that as you age, you look back at kind of anything you have or haven't done. I'm broadly, I, I, I don't think I'm proud of any work I've done professionally, particularly. I've, like, I've done some okay things. But, You're um, not proud? Not especially, but, mm. I'm, but, I'm not, but I'm not ashamed like mm. that. I don't look at, I don't have any memories which make me wince. Mm. So even if I kind of put my foot in my mouth, it's always from a place of like sincerity. Mm. So I, I don't look at anything I have or haven't done and think, um, you know, you dick. Um, but I'm sure I could be less obnoxious for sure. Mm. I never thought I'd be doing this, but all I'm doing when I'm talking now is thinking, Thalo and Huck are going to rip the shit up. Really? <laughs> like every single thing. <laughs> no I'm way. Gonna, like, they're going to be doing my voices. <laughs> oh my God. God. You know what? That's an interesting Huck. I should have put this up in here. Still, still oh. in the uk common like not rare in his school when you're saying how's he going with school kids are like you've been in the yesterday with you you're kidding no no it's like he's got that as cachet well you'll be walking in the street and people will go huck like that's a real thing i think people don't know that that's your son we should definitely that's actually that, the yeah. only time 
that you've ever been featured in the Yesterday video that your face has ever seen yeah, yeah, for like yeah. a split second. Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what's the title of the video? Uh, giving a six year old a thousand bucks. Yeah, and Huck is your son. Yeah, yeah. And Huck still gets recognized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's freaking insane. Like kids have seen the video and yeah. come up to him. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not rare. Like we we walk down the street and people go Huck. <laughs> no fucking way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they know him by the name. Yeah, yeah. If and if Huck was here now, he'd go. That's my video. <laughs> it's yeah. not your video. <laughs> Wow. I mean, honestly, that's got to be like major street cred at school. Uh, well, you were saying how do you get a girlfriend? That's probably the answer. Yeah. You're welcome, Huck, if you're watching this. <laughs> I'll take full credit for that one. Yeah. Wow. That was such a fun episode. He was perfect for I think uh, genuinely, I think that's one of my favorite episodes. And well, I know I've got the bias, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. there is a... There's a sweetness to it, like the tone of that thing. Mm -hmm. And even the way it's cut, that bit where you try and take his candy and they go, dun, dun, dun. And Amar gives you this like lovely look and and that like, you're so happy when you're in the toy store. <laughs> yeah. I think that was your idea too. Mm. Yeah. You came up with it. There Are there other ideas in there that you're like, that was my idea. That was my yeah, idea. Yeah, loads. Yeah, yeah. Can you name a Worst, few other ones? I'm clueless. But you know what I do? I often call Thomas out on. I think Mr. Beast has made 10 videos that I told Thomas to make that didn't make the grade. It's probably for the best though. I don't know. Some of them are like, would have been perfect. Like the, the one that always gets me, I wanted you guys to just give a credit card to strangers mm. and your version of that would have been kind and lovely. And his vision is still amazing, but it's like, it's more about how much shit can people buy. Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, you called Mr. Beast before anybody did. You called yeah, Mr. Yeah. Beast when he had like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he was in the hundreds of thousands. Yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah. this guy's going to be the but biggest. Could, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a machine, right? Yeah. But I feel like most people didn't know, you know, I feel like it's, it's, a, I mean, that's one of the skills you have is to kind of just spot it. He's an ideas machine, isn't he? Mm -hmm. I think, um, and it, let's be honest, that's what YouTube's become. Like, there's loads of other ways of cutting it, but can you consistently come up with really disruptive, creative, clever thoughts? Mm -hmm. And then there's a wave of people who copy you. But if you're the first, and he is still really impressive. Yeah. Freaking machine. Mm. So, Tom, let's talk about my freaking book because yeah, uh, I think, again, more than anybody, the the first uh, how would I even put this like the first person to even mention that I should do it um you've been telling me I should do it for the past five years we even talked to publishers I think like four or five years ago that you connected us with um and there was always this hesitation of like I don't know if this is like I'm I'm fine doing newsletters but a book feels pretty intense uh but you kept insisting you know and you're like you gotta do it you gotta do it you should do it you should do it sorry yeah thanks dude <laughs> You didn't tell me what it would take. That's a lot, right? It's a lot. Um, very happy I did it, though. And I think one of the more more difficult moments for me was showing you the first draft and you being like, nope, it's not it. You know, the very first draft. Um, and throughout this process of, like, feedback, I mean, you've been the person I await feedback from the most. And even when Darren and I started working on the book together, uh, we I think we wrote the first three chapters, and yeah. Darren, I, I was like, "Darren, we're just gonna send it to Tom." Shout out to Darren because oh god, the biggest chef fucking shout out of all time, dude. Yeah, but what, what I mean, you obviously you did loads of amazing work, but the two of you together, I think it's incredible. Thanks. Um, yeah, he's he's a good dude, the best. But anyway, so when we were doing when we were three chapters in. Because we had, I mean, this was like my fourth time starting over. And so three chapters in, I I tell Darren, I'm like, we can't continue without getting Tom's approval. Like, if this doesn't pass the Tom filter, <laughs> like, we don't want to finish the book and Tom be like, this sucks. So we sent it to you uh, in like some, in an email. And Darren was so, I've never seen Darren so nervous. Really? Darren was like, every... Every day he was asking me to Tom answer, to Tom answer, to Tom answer. <laughs> How long did it take me to reply? I think longer than usual. Oh, I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, to actually like read it, I think you were okay. busy. I'm so sorry. It was like, no, it's fine. It was like three or four days, but they were excruciating because you're always so honest. So we were like, fuck, if Tom hates this, it sucks. And what did I say? I said it was good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, you were stoked. And so Darren and I were like, oh, fuck yeah. I think that gave us the confidence to keep going. Like we, without that approval from you, which I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh, for like my creativity to rely on your <laughs> approval to continue a project but at the time I very much needed it because no I get it I, I lost well, you'd, track you'd of what run, worked you'd run a marathon right and yeah then you already. Was like, go again yeah literally 
that's what it felt like. It's like, no, no, this is just one of two. Um, and now that it's finished, now that you've, I think you're one of like six people that's read it. Um, does that feel a certain way for you? Like, because you've kind of seen the like the whole process for it. Cause I mean, you actually literally what's interesting also, you sent me your first book draft today, right before this podcast. Yeah, you got to read that. Yeah. Um, how did I feel? Um, really proud of you, of you particularly like daring too. like, cause what a dude like just stepped up and like, that's, it's a beautiful thing. Right. But they're no, really proud of you. Really proud of you. Thanks dad. No, no. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I know how much energy that took, right? That's not an insignificant amount of your life. That was like, we were talking about the Rick Rubin book, right? It, uh, I think the idea that you left it all out there and then went again, it's like, it, it's an incredible book. I think you'll be proud of it. I think you'll be proud of it for the rest of your life. Thanks, Tom. Well, you, want more, you, want more, you want more than that? <laughs> you, you want more than that? <laughs> Keep well, them coming. That's no, but, all you got? No, but, well, wait, but wait, what more do you want? Well, you want to know if it's... You want me to talk about the book in general? That's fine. You no, 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 I can do that. Um, I honestly wasn't even expecting it. No, we should talk about the book a little bit. I think what I was always worried about with the book was that you'd write something that either fell into, I guess, the equivalent of fan fiction, where it's like, you know, I'm a yesterday fan. I want to know, you know, what Matt's favorite breakfast cereal is. Or you'd go the other way and it would almost be like, a, you know, here is what Matt thinks, you know, Matt, here's what Matt's been musing on for the last year and a half. Um, and I think where you've landed is what I was hoping for, which is much more, I think if, if you don't know anything about your story and you read that book, I think you'll kind of fall in love with the guys. Um, I think that it, and we, we, I think at the beginning we talked about the idea of it almost being a Bible or a, but it, it goes back to the, I think it's a love story. Mm. So I don't think you, I don't think either of us ever used that language when you were writing it, but you read it now and you're like, wow, it, like, it comes through in the writing. It's great. Mm -hmm. And I think that also to shout out to Aaron again, the fact that it ends with me writing it with Aaron, I think that is what completes the love story. For sure. For sure. No, it's it like now it makes all the sense in the world. It just took. <laughs> 18 months or whatever to try, more, and, more, yeah, yeah. to try and make that happen. But now, mm -hmm. like, of course, that's what should have happened. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Cool, Tom. Well, we do this thing at the end of the podcast where uh, we ask the guest if they'd like it to say anything to the audience. Some last words. Especially considering you probably won't be on uh, more podcasts. Who's the, in your head, who's, give me an overview like, like, so I say something appropriate. Who, <laughs> somebody, somebody is, is somebody this for the crowd? Is yeah, that yeah, you, yeah. Your newsletter crowd as well? or I'd say so. Like, probably like the more hardcore Yes Theory audience. Just think of something real. Well, you know, like as a, I think, neutral observer to this stuff, I think I'd say with honesty, if you're a fan of these guys, of like of this, like it's real. And and I that, that sounds like a silly or flippant thing to say, but I spent time with lots of creators, and I'd say most of it isn't like everything's heightened or you know contrived or manufactured. Like obviously there's real out there too, but I think it would be it would upset a lot of people to see how much of what they believe to be real isn't. I think what's amazing about you guys is it's like camera on or off. It's kind of it's the same experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people do wonder. You know, and I think a lot of people that do meet us sometimes are like, holy shit, you guys are actually like you are in the videos. Yeah. You know, so it's I think still is surprising for people. It'd be really hard to, for us to not be real. You like, say that. Way. I think, yeah. I mean, you know, some of these guys, I've been really surprised with some of the stuff over here. Mm. Lots of creators and the kind of dynamics you see. Authenticity is kind of the language of, of YouTube and those platforms. But the truth is lots of these people are kind of playing characters um it's really rare to have actual friends who actually remain friends and have kind of the same chemistry on camera as off camera and i think you guys it's a testament to kind of where you're at not even professionally but just as like humans anyone could watch you know if, if the cameras drop now you'd be the same human and i think 
you and the guys, whether you're filming adventures or not, and I've been with you in both those environments, it's it's the same experience. Um, and I think that probably wins out. It does feel like authenticity is still incredibly powerful and seductive and appealing. Um, I guess just another note, because people often ask whenever I end up kind of in these kind of conversations, how do you become a successful YouTuber? And I'm sure you get those kind of questions all the time. It's the same thing, right? It's, um, do you actually have an authentic something like not, I want to be a YouTuber. Like that can't be the start of the conversation. Like what is it that you're actually trying to do or say or tell or, and I don't think when you guys started out, you could have even articulated that. Right. Like, I think part of that, there was a real passion, you know, it's like Thomas really wanted to be a creator, but you, I don't think you could have even distilled it, but it's almost like, because you had that as a shared mission out of that came this kind of, it's like love story. Um, so yeah, I guess the note to the audience would just be it, that the love story is that it's it's real, it's real. It's beautiful. Thanks, dude. Of course, and you're part of it. <laughs> you're part of the love story. <laughs> Thank you, dude. <laughs> All right, love you, Tom. Appreciate love you, too. you. Of course.